If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 221 of the Leading Learning Podcast, in which we welcome Rohit Bhargava back to the show. Many listeners will be familiar with Rohit, but if you're not, he is probably best known as a curator of non-obvious trends and the author of the non-obvious series of books that he has issued annually since 2011. Jeff, we've each had the opportunity to talk with Rohit before on the podcast. What do you cover with him this time around? Well, as you mentioned, Rohit has been publishing his non-obvious series of books since 2011. So the big headline for this episode is that 2020 brings us to the 10th edition. And this time around, Rohit has done something a bit different. He's calling this one non-obvious megatrends. And in it, he essentially looks at the trajectory of the past trends he's identified, combines that with what he's seeing right now and what he describes as the accelerating present. And he identifies 10 really big trends that he thinks will impact us in the coming decade. And so naturally, we talk about some of those trends, but we also talk about the whole non-obvious project and how it's evolved over the years. Non-Obvious is no longer just a book series. In fact, this will be the last of the books. Really, it has become a whole way of thinking. And of course, it's become a company that offers a range of different ways to help people and businesses embrace and leverage that way of thinking. Well, it's been really interesting to see the non-obvious project evolve over the years. Jeff, you and I know firsthand that one of the ways Rohit has taught people about non-obvious thinking over the years is as a really engaging keynote speaker. And I'll use that as a lead-in to call out a non-obvious aspect of the Leading Learning website that we want to highlight as a resource. Namely, whenever we have someone on the show like Rohit, who is a speaker, we tag that episode. What that means is that it's then very easy for you to find and listen to the various speakers who have been on the show simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash tag slash speaker. And we'll also make sure, of course, to link to that in the show notes. So if you happen to work for an organization that has need of speakers, and we know many listeners do, this is a great way to review a range of options and get a feel for a speaker's content and style. Now, we know that when Rohit speaks, he gets people thinking and reflecting. So what thought-provoking questions do you have to offer up from the conversation with him, Jeff? Well, I have two questions to offer, or more accurately, I guess, clusters of questions. First, I'll pose an obvious one. We highlight three of the megatrends in our conversation, and those are instant knowledge, attention wealth, and ungendering. And I challenge listeners to really put some thought into how those particular megatrends might impact their learning businesses. Now, the second one, on a less obvious note, um, we talk about the whole non-obvious project and how that's evolved. And as you mentioned, Rohit does a great deal of speaking. The company offers workshops. It's gotten into publishing and Spoiler alert, it's headed for podcasting. And, you know, basically Rohit and his team took a core idea and turned it into an entire business that has spawned multiple products. So the question is, how are you leveraging and capitalizing upon your best ideas? What might those results look like a decade from now? 
Well, those are very good questions, and we will, of course, link to them in the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 221. We'll also link to the three previous episodes with Rohit, along with other resources related to non-obvious thinking. In the meantime, though, let's move ahead with the latest conversation with Rohit Bhargava. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeff Cobb. This is the Leading Learning Podcast, and today I'm joined by Rohit Bhargava. Rohit is an innovation and marketing expert and the founder of The Non-Obvious Company. He spent 15 years as a marketing strategist for Ogilvy and Leo Burnett, is the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of six business books, and also teaches marketing and innovation at Georgetown University. Now, Rohit has joined us on the show before. In fact, this is his fourth time, which I think may put him in first place for most appearances on Leading Learning. This time he's back to discuss his most recent book, Non-Obvious Megatrends, which I view as a sort of capstone to the very popular non-obvious obvious series that he's published over the past decade. And we'll talk about that book in detail. We'll also talk about where things are going with the whole non-obvious project. But first, Rohit, welcome back to Leading Learning. Thanks, Jeff. It's an elite company, I suppose, uh, being back uh, here talking to you. So I'm really excited. <laughs> Oh yeah, one of one of the few and and one of the proud. But uh, we're we're glad to have you back because uh, I mean, wow, this is a it, it's a big event. Uh, it's it's hard. I, I think we caught you maybe around year five or so of the the non obvious books. This is now your your tenth year, tenth edition. Um, it's it's hard for me to believe that you've been at it for a decade. I'm sure it's hard for you to believe you've been Definitely, at it that yeah. long. Yeah, and. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I know many of our listeners will have tuned in before, um, whether here or in other places, and have read the books or are familiar with your work, but but I don't want to assume too much before we get into the conversation. Um, I do want to make sure we catch up anyone who may not be uh, fully familiar with what you've been up to, up to or, or who just needs a refresher at this point. So, you know, I guess the, the first big question I'll, I'll pose then is, what exactly have you been up to for the past decade? Yeah, it's and I appreciate the question because you're right. I mean, sometimes people will will know and they and they won't. And I think that the big mission uh, for me, really, over the last decade, has been to try and encourage more people to be what I call non-obvious thinkers. And really, what I mean by that is someone who thinks for themselves, uh, who isn't narrow-minded, who takes time to appreciate perspectives who aren't uh, that don't match with their own. And honestly, what's happened over the last 10 years, which has been uh, fascinating and concerning, is that that is really, really hard uh, Mm. because of all of these algorithms that just serve up the exact same news that you already agree with, uh, how polarized the media environment has become and how low trust uh, everything seems and and people just are, are skeptical. And so this message that I used to put out there as a way of just saying, here are some trends that can help you grow your business or just be smarter... I feel like it's kind of become a more urgent call to action to say, look, this is, this is changing our world. Like we need more people who can be objective and, uh, and less opinionated. And so that's kind of become this, this big mission uh, of this series. It's funny you mentioned uh, the the urgency there because I that's something I wanted to ask you about is whether you whether you felt like the urgency was growing because it, it certainly seems to me like it is and and of course I guess that's reflected in in what you're doing now because uh, I mean this used to be you put out these certain number of, uh, of trends um, annually 
and and I've always appreciated that you give a lot of guidance on sort of your process and how people can use those trends, but but you're starting to move um, beyond that. It sounds like, and I think I, I assume it's because the the need is really moving beyond that. And I'll I'll point out something I noticed in the book this time, and maybe it was there before, and maybe I was just more primed to notice it this time. But um, you suggest that your whole sort of non-obvious process, uh, the, the, the non-obvious way of thinking is really akin to an approach to lifelong learning. And I th- I'm sure that will really resonate with listeners here. Could, could you say a little bit more about that, the whole you know, lifelong learning, non-obvious thinking, how those fit together? Yeah, it really does. It really is. I mean, I I tend to use a lot of uh, stories and analogies, as you know. And and so one of the things that I often talk about is that we, the smartest people that I know uh, are the ones who find a way to collect ideas the same way most of us collect frequent flyer miles. Mm. And the reason why I use that analogy is if you think about it, if you fly, you know, if you or I flew from New York to LA and we got whatever, 2,500 miles or whatever it is, we wouldn't turn around the next day and say, okay, where, how do I use my 2,500 miles? I mean, you can't go anywhere, right? You've got to build them up over time, over multiple trips before you then cash them in to go somewhere that you want to go. And I think if we could do that with our ideas, A, we would get better at collecting them and figuring out how to save them. <clears throat> and B, we'd start thinking about what are the relationships between these ideas. And that's really a big part of this process that you talked about. I mean, I have a name for it and it's a five-step method and I teach it in a lot of these workshops and and talk about it in the keynotes, right? But the point of the method is just to say to people that, look, there's no magic trick that I know as a quote-unquote futurist where you should just pay me to tell you what the trends are because you can't do it for yourself. I don't believe that. I think that, that anyone can teach themselves how to do these things in the right way to be able to see those connections for themselves. Well, and you know, as you've noted, and I've noted as well, you you do have you have methods, you have processes around this. Uh, you talk a lot about curation. You have your haystack method, um, and I'm thinking we won't dig a lot into those in, in this interview because you, you have been on three times at this point. We have actually dug into those quite a bit, and we will link uh, folks to to past interviews, um, and of course, you know the. This book and, and all of your books themselves are uh, great resources for really understanding the process, understanding uh, how curation happens. So, you know, definitely want readers to go back, check out those those past interviews, check out uh, the books themselves, and check out um, this year's book. Um, before we actually get to the you know the the, the key uh, ideas trends of of this year's book, though, because we are now at this decade point, and, and if my understanding is correct, you're not really going to you know, publish this kind of trends book anymore. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the the past. Uh, you've you've been doing it for a long time. You know, are there are there trends that you've identified during the the course of your decade of working on this that that still really stand out for you? And you know, that might be because of their their overall impact or their or their staying power. I mean, however you want to approach it. Are there some that you just think, wow, you know, I'm really glad that we managed to focus in on on, on that one. There, there definitely are. I think for, for context, one of the things that might be interesting for uh, your listeners, especially the ones who've heard some of the previous shows, is what's different this year mm. uh, from previous years. Because, you know, like you said, I mean, it's been a 10-year project. And really what that has meant is every year there's a new quote-unquote trend report, uh, which has 15 trends 
that based on the research that I and my team do will affect how we think, what we buy, what we sell, uh, how we learn in the coming year. And so the lens has always been a year. And, and in fact, the cover of the book has always had a year on it, like the right. book of world records, right? It's like non-obvious 2019 or non-obvious 2018. And this year, uh, what's different is, yes, it's the 10th year, so it's a 10-year anniversary. Uh, it's the last year, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about that uh, in a second. But it's also non-obvious megatrends. And the horizon is not just the next year. The horizon is the next decade. And so what that really caused me to do with this editorial team that I've got is look back over the last 10 years and say, look, what are the trends that stood out? And what are the commonalities between them? And how do we elevate our thinking even higher? And so at the end of each trend, each megatrend chapter in this new book, there's a roadmap of all of the past trend predictions from 2011 until 2019 that weighed into this particular megatrend. And so there's a huge backdrop of stories, examples, uh, insights, research that go into each one of these megatrends to really try and elevate each one. Well, and I love it that that you do that. In fact, I love uh, that that your books tend to just be so practical in general, and that's maybe a topic I want to come back to. But um, you know, the fact that you you, you lay out these mega trends, you give a snapshot of the mega trends, you show how the, the the past trends you've identified flow into those mega trends. You you give some ways that people can put those the, the trends to use. I mean, just uh, you know, kudos on that. I, I think uh, I, I read very few books that are that are as as useful as yours tend to be um so i think that's yeah i think that's definitely something to to call out and i mean we're not going to have uh time in in the context of uh today's um podcast to to discuss every one of the mega trends but um i mean for the record i I will at least uh name them here and then i'm hoping maybe we can highlight uh we'll see how many of them we manage to to dig a little deeper into but um i'll just i'll just tick them off here they are amplified identity ungendering, instant knowledge, revivalism, human mode, attention wealth, purposeful profit, data abundance, protective tech, and flux commerce. And and I'm betting, obviously, that's, you know, a word or two on each of the the trends. Um, I'm betting even just hearing those, though, they probably resonate with people. They've got a sense of where you might be going uh, with with some of these areas that that you've identified. But but let's let's maybe you know try to talk about a few of them in a little bit more depth here. And I know I have one that 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 I'd like to identify. Um, and, and then maybe you know it'd be good to hear if you have one or two that you really want to call out. Uh, but the the one that particularly jumped out at me was instant knowledge. Um, and your sort of one sentence on that is, as we pu- become accustomed to consuming bite-sized knowledge on demand, we benefit from learning everything more quickly, but risk forgetting the value of mastery and wisdom. And I feel like that's one that uh, certainly the folks who are listening to this podcast should, should be paying attention to. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, instant knowledge as a megatrend? Yeah, this is uh, this has been a, a huge one, and actually one that's probably been one of the more popular uh, of the of the mega trends so far in conversations that I've had, because it, it really resonates for people, right? I mean, you can go on. People generally know that you can go onto YouTube and and figure out how to fix a leak in your toilet. Um, you can mm-hmm. go to uh, some of these platforms and and learn how to play the banjo from Steve Martin. You know, I mean, there's all of these ways of of learning now, and 
positive side of it is we have access to world-class experts and, and all of this great content that, that is really on demand, which is awesome. Uh, the challenge is that, that if we can get exactly what we need without ever having to learn the foundation behind it, uh, we risk having just superficial knowledge. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes instant knowledge becomes superficial knowledge that is good for solving a problem or doing something quickly, but not that good for anything longer term. And I know that this is a big topic, at least in, in the way that I think about teaching as an as a, uh, educator myself, but also in anyone who works in any level of education or, or learning, because it raises this question of like, how deep do we need to go, right? Do we need the one hour seminar? Do we need the five day intensive course? Do we need this full certificate program? Do we need all three, depending on who's consuming that information? Do we need it in multiple chunks? Uh, all of these questions, I think, are just so fascinating because what it leads us to, particularly with this megatrend, is what I think the reality of any predictions like this are, which is it describes something that's changing in our world, but it isn't inherently good or bad. Uh, the question is, how are we going to actually use it to mm-hmm. think differently or do things differently? And it, it seems like to, um, I mean, you know, there's the the possibility that we're going to lose depth, we're going to lose mastery, as you uh, said. There's also, and I believe you bring this up in a, in a different part of the book, but it seems related to me, kind of a, uh, basically a processing problem that, that we have right now. And I'm going, to, I'm going to read a passage that you have earlier in the book where it says, the problem is that expecting to get smarter from processing content faster is a bit like entering a speed eating contest to enjoy a good meal. Eating 26 hot dogs in 60 seconds might satisfy your hunger, but you're likely to feel sick afterwards. Um, and it, it feels like we're kind of in, in danger of that with, with this instant knowledge access that, that we have. I think there can be this temptation to, can I just process quicker um, you know, and, and uh, you know, keep up with the machines, basically? Yeah, and I, and I think one of my favorite quotes that I, I share early in the book is from uh, the famous science fiction writer Isaac Asimov, uh, who said, I'm not a speed reader, I'm a speed understander. Hmm. And I think we spend a lot of time trying to become or encourage others to become speed readers. And the idea of speed reading is you consume everything, you just consume it faster. Right. Whereas the idea of speed understanding is you consume what you need to in order to develop understanding. And I love that idea so much more. Yeah, I think it has a, a lot more value, uh, particularly in, in today's world. Now, you said that um, instant knowledge is one that uh, seems to be you know, already feeling popular with, with folks. Um, what, what are some of the other ones that, um, that have resonated the most as you've started to, to put the book out there? I will say another one that's really resonated for people because it, it speaks to the idea of attention uh, is the attention wealth mm. megatrend. And attention wealth is sort of a megatrend that is in response to something we all know and have heard lots and lots of times, which is that we're in this uh, information economy, right? And in an information economy, the currency is your attention. And that's not a new idea. It's not like I'm the first person to say that, right? You probably heard it many times. But if our attention is actually the currency, then why aren't we considered wealthy because we have the ability to control our attention, right? And what I started to think about and write about in this megatrend is when our attention is the most valuable thing that we have to offer, 
And when organizations who are trying to engage us, right, and engagement is a big word in the marketing world that I come from, uh, when they're all trying to engage us and, and capture that attention and use it, and they have all this data to be able to understand what we care about and, and what we spend attention or what we spend our time and attention on, we should be able to use our attention to generate value for ourselves. So, mm-hmm. for example, what I mean by that is the more data, so a lot of people wear Fitbits, right? And the nice thing about a Fitbit is it can encourage you to kind of get up and move around and get your number of steps, uh, your arbitrary number of steps, right? Why 10,000? Nobody knows, but <laughs> you know, it's 10,000 and that's what people aim for. And hey, it's better than sitting around, right? But now a lot of people have started to wonder and complain. They say, look, I have all this healthcare data technically, right? My steps, but it doesn't connect with my actual healthcare. Uh, but I have this data and I'm generating it by everything that I'm doing. And what happens eventually, and I believe this is going to happen very soon in this new decade, when people start figuring out that, look, I have access to all this data that I've created and there's value in that data because if a company could use that data, they could deliver something to me of value if I'm willing to share it. And so Mm -hmm. now I have the control over this data in a way that it used to be data is just collected on me. But more and more you're seeing like with new privacy laws coming out in California saying that certain data has to be available to the consumer. Most people may not do this, but there's a button on Facebook where you can literally export everything you've ever posted to Facebook and get it back yourself. Hmm. Uh, And so more and more this data is being handed back to us in some ways. The problem is we just don't know how to use it yet. Yeah, I think uh, I'm looking forward to us figuring that out. I'm, I'm, a bit of a fanatical tracker of my own health data. So, uh, but yeah, I have not, have not managed to connect the dots fully into, you know, how, how that really creates value um, for me and, and where it fits into overall value around uh, uh, health. Um, now, what I want to ask about, and I'm, and I'm basically taking a cue from, from you and doing this and, and, and going somewhere that uh, for listeners here may be a bit, well, I think it probably is non-obvious, may not be where they're focusing, so a little bit more divergent thinking, trying to think you know, outside of uh, where they might normally um, be putting their efforts. And that's, that's this uh, tr- mega trend of um, ungendering, because I'm, I'm sure the listeners here you know, are tuned into what's going on with, with gender out there, but they may not be thinking about that in the context of, of their business, of being a, you know, a lifelong learning, continuing education uh, provider. Um, and I know you're all about, you know, how do you actually apply these trends, these mega trends in your actual business environment? I mean, do you have any thoughts on, on that, uh, a, a mega trend like ungendering for a, a business that's, uh, focused on this, this whole market for lifelong learning? Yeah, I think ungendering is a really fascinating one because what it uh, says is something a little bit different than maybe what we're, what we're all thinking or hearing about, right? So a lot of what we're thinking and hearing about now is, for example, uh, involving more women as leaders, right? Or shifting the gender balance so that it's not so skewed towards men and it's more kind of equal, right? And then we hear about uh, people who think about their gender and the way that they describe themselves as not fitting into this binary, you're either male or female. It's, It's something different. And so we see that, and, and sometimes we might get an email, especially if we work in higher education, right? A, a very common thing now is in people's email signature file, they put what their preferred pronouns are. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, my preferred pronouns are he or, or whatever based on how they like to be addressed, right? So these are the sorts of things that we're starting to see as indications. But what's interesting about this is uh, that it's leading us towards a culture where this thing that used to be literally used to be like the third question on a form, right? Like first name, last name, gender, <laughs> right? Uh, that's how central it seemed uh, has now kind of become a, a question that that allows people to make a statement about themselves that is different. Mm -hmm. So Facebook famously expanded their gender options from two to more than 50 to then six months later, more than 70 to then even after that an open write in field. So now you can just write in whatever you want. Uh, and that's, I think how fast this evolution is shifting. And so really what I talk about is what does that mean for experiences or ways of communicating that used to be gendered, that don't need that gender in them. And, and there's some famous viral examples. I mean, there's a funny viral story of um, Bic that made a pen that was for women and uh, they got predictably slammed on social media and <laughs> right. reviewed it on Amazon. And there's very funny reviews for this thing by all of these people who are like, finally, there's a pen for women because women can't just use any pen, right? Uh, being sarcastic, of course. Right. So, I mean, there are stories like that about removing the gender, but there's also kind of the two angles of this. And these were two previously predicted trends that fit into this ungendering trend. And one of them was what, what we called fierce femininity, which is the role of women and how that's starting to shift in terms of the portrayal of women. And the other side of that was what we called muddled masculinity, which was this idea that uh, men are in a real confusing moment right now where they see all of these things about what it means to be a man, how that's shifting, how do I uh, behave in a way that is, um, you know, positive, uh, mm -hmm. both towards women, but also just towards other people. Um, and what does that mean for masculinity itself? And so, like, there's all these big questions out there. And that, so that's really what we tried to encompass in this one megatrend. Well, definitely... Uh... <laughs> A lot, a lot of food for thought there, and um, and I'll note again, you know, that we've we've only talked about three of the mega trends here: um, ungendering, attention, wealth, and instant knowledge. Um, though I think I've also bled a little bit into, into some of the others. There are there are ten of these, so you know, for listeners, we'll, we'll definitely have these noted on the the show notes for this episode. But of course, the best source is the book itself uh, to, to go and, and, and find out about each of these 10 megatrends. And then as we've discussed, you know, the fact that you, you, you trace their origins back through the trends that you've identified over the past decade. And again, are very, just very practical, very useful in how to put all of this together in a meaningful way, you know, to, to use the process and to use the trends in your business environment. So, um, you know, definitely recommend that to, to folks. And then I'd love to, it's not so much shifting gears, I guess we'll, we'll evolve this conversation in, in much the, the way that I, I think I understand you're evolving, um, not obvious, uh, and that, that the whole brand, the, the whole concept, and, and talk a little bit about where you're going at this point. And maybe as a, a start to that, you know, I know at some point along the way, I can't remember exactly when this happened, but, um, but you got involved in publishing and, and, you know, you actually launched your own publishing company, which is, you know, how you're now putting out non-obvious. Uh, as you go forward, you know, what, what role does, uh, does publishing play for you? Um, and how do you, how do you think about the whole publishing industry now and, and what can be done with a book and, and how are you going to be combining that with, you know, 
other approaches as you go forward? Yeah, so lots lots to unpack there. And I think, you know, probably one of the most exciting things is, as I mentioned before, this is the last year that I'm doing this book. And so one of the big questions that a lot of people want to know is, look, if it was working and it's so successful and, 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 and it has been in terms of mm-hmm. just driving a lot of the things that I do to go out there and educate people about this, uh, why stop? And to me, the, the biggest reason was because I wanted to take this brand of non-obvious and this idea that we need more non-obvious thinking in the world and make it bigger than just this one book, uh, this one annual book. And so instead of continually publishing this book about trends, the non-obvious brand is now encompassing an entire guidebook series that's meant to compete with these dummies guides that are out there. Mm. And one of the big motivations for that is something that I think will be really relevant and interesting for your listeners, which is the sense that the way that we want to learn anything now has shifted from what it used to be when the dummies guides were first created 20 plus years ago. You know, back then it was like, Oh, you know, I'm just a dummy. Like, just give me the stuff and I'll try and like figure it out myself. But like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really smart with this stuff. And now when you talk to people, that's not their perception. People actually believe they're pretty, pretty damn smart. You know, (laughs) they feel like they can work things out. They feel like they can Google stuff. They have instant answers. They have everything available at their fingertips. They can ask Alexa, they can ask Siri, uh, and, and get these answers and figure stuff out. And so the mentality isn't so much, Oh, I'm just a dummy. The mentality is I'm smart. And so the guides that we created, uh, one of the ways we describe them is that it was smart advice for smart people. Uh, and we intentionally did that because the dummies guides, the idiots guides, I mean, that's the competition, right? Right. Um, but the other thing we put in there, uh, which really resonated with people was that the tagline said that these books are written like having coffee with an expert. And mm. that's the tone of it, right? So if you could sit down and pick the brain of a world-class expert on event planning or emotional intelligence or small business marketing and ask them every question you wanted to ask about what should I never do? How would I waste money? What should I do instead? This would be a book that describes that. And so this this guide series was created with that in mind. The first five of them are already out there um, in market. We have another eight in production, and it's really starting to take off because that's the type of learning from a book, at least, that people want. And and I I love that. I think it it taps into, um, you know, what for me has been a more or less conscious mega trend that I, I think everything we do here at Leading Learning and at, at Tagoras um, is guided by, and it's this whole notion of the empowered lifelong learner, because um, people are empowered now. You know, they, as, you, as you just noted, they've, they've got so much at their disposal. Um, a lot of them are very good at, at using it, so you know, how, do you, how do you help them create even more value out of that? And it sounds like that's, that's really what you're, you're tapping into um, going forward. Yeah, exactly. And I do have to ask, this is, this is completely tactical but, uh, and, and self-interested, but um, any plans for a podcast in there? You know, there are, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I will tell you that um, because it's going to be the non-obvious podcast, two little clues I will give you about mm. uh, the format of it. Uh, one is that it will not feature interviews. Okay. No interviews. And the second is that every episode will be probably about five minutes long. Mm. That's the, that's the way that we're thinking about it. So more to come, uh, but that's the, that's the idea uh, behind it so far. All right. Well, yeah, definitely let us know when, when that is out, and we will certainly help alert, uh, alert people to it. 
Well, you know, as, as always, fantastic uh, talking with you, Rohit. You're always up to, to so many interesting things. And we're, we're at the point of the conversation where um, what, is now the, what is now the obvious thing for us to do is to ask you about uh, a, a lifelong learning experience that, you know, uh, kind of transformed your life. We've actually asked you about that before, so I don't want to uh, come back to that as a, as a question again. But, um, but, but maybe a, a somewhat different angle on that to ask you about is, I mean, you're, you're making this shift uh, in what you're doing with the company. Um, I'm assuming it's also impacting you personally, um, you know, what you've learned over the years and what will now be taking forward. I know curation has, has just been so important to everything you do, and, and I assume it will continue to be. But um, do, you have, do you have new practices uh, beyond curation, or maybe it's a next-level curation that, that you're going to be employing as part of your, your own lifelong learning in the, in the I guess I shouldn't call it the post non-obvious world. I guess it's the, the, the next generation of the non-obvious world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think one of the things that I have, have started to discover, and maybe this is related to just age, you know, and getting, getting a little older, but also related to learning is that there isn't really anyone or anything that's uh, inaccessible. There isn't really someone who, like, for example, if I read something, uh, or you mentioned that that as part of this, I'd started a publishing company. So I started a publishing company with my wife. So now I control the publishing company behind uh, the the book, right? And we've done 30 plus other books from other authors. And one of the fascinating things I realized uh, as I started to do that is any book that you see uh, in any bookstore, if I see a book and I say, oh, that cover is amazing. Every single book lists the cover designer and I can find out who that designer is. I can find out how to email him or her directly and I can say, I've got a publishing company. Would you be able to work on one of our covers? And most of them will do freelance work. Mm. So my pool of designers, for example, to do a cover design is infinite because every one of these designers does custom commission jobs, even the ones in full-time roles. And a lot of times we... I mean, just from a recruiting perspective, right? That's not a usual way to think, right? When you think, oh, they're already employed. Like, I can't hire that person. They're already doing something. They're already working on something, right? They work for someone else. They're inaccessible. And as soon as you take that out of your mindset and say, look, nobody's inaccessible. Like, what's the worst thing that'll happen? They'll say, sorry, I'm too busy. Or sorry, I'm not allowed to do it right now. And so they say no, or they don't get back to you. But a lot of times what I've found is by putting that request out there, by making that connection happen, by being proactive, huge doors start to open. Mm -hmm. Now we have this pool of world-class book designers that are working with a small independent publishing house like ours instead of just, you know, the huge publishers. And that to me has been a really fascinating thing that I have learned uh, in the course of doing what I'm doing. I love that. And I think that goes... um so well with uh, what we were just saying a minute ago about empowerment uh, to, you know, that uh, people feel smart, people feel empowered, and they also just, they have access uh, to so much. And that obviously applies in a, in a, in a business context, as, as you were just uh, illustrating, but also applies to learning as well. You know, if you feel empowered, you recognize you've got the access, boy, the sky's really the, the limits. Um, so that's a, a fantastic perspective, I guess, to, to wrap up this conversation with and for, for listeners to take away. 
But before we totally wrap up here, we, of course, want to make sure that folks know how they can find you, how they can find the book, how they can keep track of uh, everything uh, non-obvious. Um, so what are, what are the best ways for them to do that? So lots of ways. Uh, they should be able to find the book uh, easily online uh, and also in local bookstores. Uh, it'll also be an airport bookstore. So if you happen to be traveling and you go into a Hudson, you should be able to find it there. Uh, if you want to look online uh, about the book, you can go to nonobvious.com slash megatrends. And for anything about me, or if you want to watch like some videos of past talks that I've given or things like that, uh, you can go to just rohitbargava.com. Well, great. Well, as always, it's been uh, an interesting conversation. Certainly wish you the best of luck uh, with the, the launch. I know this is going to be a, another successful um, capstone to the, the non-obvious series. And uh, well, in, in general, Rohit, thanks so much for taking the time to, to be on Leading Learning. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That concludes the conversation with Rohit Bhargava. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 221. And the show notes will include the reflection questions. One, how might the three megatrends highlighted in the episode, instant knowledge, attention, wealth, and ungendering, impact your learning business? And two, how are you leveraging and capitalizing on your best ideas? What might the results look like a decade from now? When you check out the show notes, you'll also see the various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We would also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. That will put you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review and reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Finally, consider following us and sharing the good word about leading learning in your social networks. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, on Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com, you guessed it, LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag leading learning on each of those channels. However you do it, please follow us and please help spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.